Good morning. Welcome to Georgia. It's beautiful today. We're going to have a good day of racing. It might be uh, seat deep ruts, but uh, it's the same for everybody, so we'll enjoy it. Right now, let's just uh, quiet ourselves and, and see what God has for us. Lord, thanks a lot for this morning. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. We're at a racetrack. The weather's turning out beautiful today. We love you. We love to do what you put in our hearts, but may we give you the first part of our day, and will you meet us here? Uh, give me the words to say and open our, the ears of our hearts. Give us understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this week uh, on, on Facebook, I tried to be active on Facebook and keep everybody up to date with my incredibly exciting life. But uh, I also posted up a video and said, hey, um, you know, share this link. Trying to get the word out that we've got chapel going on. So share this link, like this thing, and I'll put your name in a drawing for free race fees. And one of our youth ATV riders won that drawing. That was, that was pretty cool. He was a deserving young kid but the video was um was a, it was titled head smash fail and i'm not even sure it might have been bullying to put it up because we're laughing at this guy in this video and, and it starts out there's this guy uh and he's holding a, a, a piece of plywood he's looking at the camera and you can tell that he doesn't have a whole lot of confidence in himself and he says uh i'm going to break this board over my head because I believe in myself and, and he kind of forgets what he's talking about and his friend that's holding the camera says and, and you have a plan, oh yeah, I believe in myself, I have a plan, I'm going to put my plan into action, I'm going to break this board and he takes this piece of plywood pretty, pretty big piece of plywood up over his head, smashes it down and the plywood just flexes I mean it's plywood, it just flexes and he's like, oh, you hear him grunt and uh, kind of rolls his eyes, and so he, then he just does it again, even harder, just jams it down on top of his head. And he's giving himself a headache, and he just starts beating himself on the head with this piece of plywood. And I know I'm not supposed to be laughing, but it's so funny. And he falls to his knee. He's like, I must not believe in myself. I'm like, are you kidding me? I understand. You believe in yourself, you have a plan, you put it into action. But if your plan is flawed, it doesn't matter how much you believe in yourself. And he just continues to beat himself senseless with his board. He gets so frustrated, he throws the board off, stomps in the house. I don't believe in myself. And his wife is like, what's the matter, honey? And I'm laughing, and then it occurs to me, that's how I approach prayer. I believe, God, you're the God of the universe. I believe, I know you can do this. I believe, I believe, I believe. And we call it faith. That is so often our approach. I've heard it many, many times. If I just had enough faith, then God will do what I ask him to do. And that comes from Matthew chapter 17. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus is on this earth. Uh, you know, the Son of God, he's revealing himself to mankind. And uh, he's on this earth doing miracles. And a guy comes up to him and says, Jesus... My son is an epileptic, and he has seizures, and he's often thrown into the fire, and he's often thrown into the water to drown, and we have to rescue him. And, and I brought him to your disciples, but your disciples can't seem to heal him. And Jesus' response to the guy, Jesus' response is, oh, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? And Jesus, our, our loving Savior, compassionate Loving Lord, you know, long-suffering and merciful, oh, faithless, twisted generation. How long I got to put up with y'all? He says, bring the kid to me. And then Jesus uh, rebuked the demon, and the boy was healed instantly. And that's interesting that, that uh, the man says he's an epileptic, and Jesus heals the demon, casts the demon out. The disciples come to Jesus privately, and they ask, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. 
For truly, I say to you, if you have the faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Wow, just the tiniest little bit of faith. And the sky's the limit. Impossible things will be done if you just had the littlest bit of faith. So I believe, God, I believe. We're like, God, I know that you can. And so here is my request. I believe. And we say it with our eyes shut and, you know, teeth clenched. I believe. I've shared my story with you about how, you know, I grew up in a, a Christian home and and uh, wasn't really, it was more religion than it was a relationship with, with uh, the one who created me. And uh, so I often walked away from the faith and drinking, partying, chasing girls. And then there was a time in about 2001 where I said, all right, I'm going to be a good Christian. If I am a good Christian, God will answer my prayers. And so I went to church three times on Sunday and Wednesday night and Thursdays and did all these things. I was active in a young adult Sunday school class around about 2002 or 2003, somewhere in there. And uh, really being a good Christian, you know, trying to get God to answer my prayers. It's called manipulation, but and God doesn't fall for it. Nonetheless, uh, the young adult Sunday school class decided they were going to take a retreat down to southern Tennessee near the Ocoee River and go to this lodge. And uh, so they're putting the word out, and I was on the leadership team trying to put this thing together. And uh, all of my growing up, been exposed to missionaries and people that have gone across the world, done amazing things. I even went to a Christian college for about a year. And when I was at that college, there was this guy that came and spoke at our chapel service. And every day he would get up and he would say, the Cedarville 100. And for five days in a row, he would say the Cedarville 100. And nobody knew what he's, we thought he was crazy. And uh, he would go on and he would do his message or whatever. And at the, at the final day, he said, y'all have heard me talking about the Cedarville 100. Well, God has really put it on my heart that there are a hundred students here at this college that need to give themselves to full-time service, dedicate themselves to full-time overseas missionary service. And I'm going to give you the opportunity right now to respond to what God's prompting. And 500 students out of 2000, a body of 2,500 students went forward. It's like, wow, that's amazing. And so when it comes time for, uh, for this youth or for this uh, young adult retreat to go down to the Okoe River, I'm like, God, I want some of that. I want to move a mountain. I want that impossible thing. I'm just praying for 100 people, 100 people to go to this retreat. And 100 people, you move on the heart. You created every heart in Knoxville, Tennessee. Surely you can move on 100 people while 100 people at this retreat. And I started praying every day. I'd get up at 5 in the morning, and I started praying that every day. 100 people, Lord, 100 people. I believe. I know you can do it. 45 people showed up. And that was the beginning of the end for me. I'm like, what? I mean, I had the faith. I know you can do it. And you didn't. And it wasn't long after that that I just went off and I kind of did things on my own terms and, and just totally turned my back on the church for a while. And it was 2006 before I fully hit my knees and said, all right, God, I surrender. Give you everything. And since then, I've been on a journey of learning about faith. And what, what is faith? And if you're a Bible student, you might remember in Hebrews, the author of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, gives us a great definition, a Webster's Dictionary definition of what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, is the conviction of things not seen. And so as I look at that, the assurance of things hoped for, things like salvation, like Jesus came to this earth to rescue me from my sins, things like eternal life in heaven, assurance of things hoped for, got it. Conviction of things not seen. And the, the author even goes on to ex- describe, this is how we know that God created the world with the spoken word. It's by faith, the conviction of things not seen. Big things, eternal life and salvation, creation. I got it. 
The disciples, I believe that they had it too, because they were the ones that said, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Faith, big faith. Hebrews 11, one kind of faith. And then Jesus says to them, you couldn't heal this child. God didn't answer your prayer request to heal this child or bring 100 people to this retreat because you don't have faith the size of a mustard seed. I got faith for the big things. What about the little things? You don't even have faith the size of a mustard seed. So what is faith? Well, as you read chapter 11 in Hebrews, it's called the Hall of Faith, not the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Faith. The author of Hebrews starts naming off some individuals in the Old Testament that had incredible faith. He names Enoch and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah and Joseph and all these characters in the Old Testament. And the one thing that these guys have in common is you start reading down this list of everybody in the Hall of Faith, the one thing that they have in common is not their great achievements in this world, not the awesome miracles that God did through them, Moses' name, but the emphasis isn't on Moses and his miracles, it was God's miracles. The one thing that all these guys have in common is that they lived into the purpose that God had for them. They lived into God's purposes. So here's the definition of faith. Here's what we're getting at today. Faith. What is faith? It's believing God. It is being willing to live into God's purposes for my life, even when I don't know what they are, even when I don't understand what God is doing, even when I don't like what God is doing. It's simply, it's trusting God. How would it change our lives? How would it change my life if I really, truly trusted God? You see that time in my life when I said it was the beginning of the end? hundred people, Lord, I believe, I believe. Nothing happens. I said, well, God, if you're not going to do anything with my life, I mean, that was just a little prayer request. I've had this prayer request that I would meet the right girl for a long time. You don't seem to have any interest in answering that prayer request. Um, I guess I'm going to have to do this on my own. If I had really trusted God, be like, all right, God, I don't understand you. I don't like what you're doing in my life. I'm going to stick with you. But no, I, I did the typical thing, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that's ever done this. All right, God, if you're not going to do it, I'll take it all myself. There's this girl. She's really pretty. She likes me, which is more than I can say for all the girls at church. <laughs> I'm just going to go dinner with her. It won't be any harm to go dinner with her. It won't be any harm to, you know, do the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Before I knew it, I was way out of church, way outside of God's will, way outside of his purpose for my life. I was doing things on my own because I didn't trust God. God, I can't trust you. you I, I can't give you my whole life because you don't seem to be interested. I don't like what you're doing with my life. I'll take it on myself. And I made a lot of decisions that way. I'll take it on myself. How, what would it look like if we really trusted God with our lives? Say, all right, God, I know what you say about marriage and I'm going to wait for marriage. God, I know what you say about my finances. And 10% doesn't sound like a whole lot when you're talking about a dollar. I'll give you a dime out of a dollar, no problem thousand bucks that's a hundred dollars that's my phone bill right there god you wouldn't want me to skip my bills that's not what a good christian would do is it and we make excuses to say i'm not going to live into your purpose for my life because i don't trust you so what would it look like if we really did trust god you know we often get this idea like i had that it's all about the rules and the regulations if i'll just follow the rules and the regulations then god's going to be good to me and it's so much more than that. It's trusting God. And these rules and these regulations are safeguards for us. There are some things that God said, live differently. You live this way, I'll be able to work in your life. I'll be able to accomplish my purposes because you're safeguarding that commitment and that covenant that I have with you. Look back at the Old Testament. When you look at the Old Testament, the Israelites, 
you know, the, the nation that God came to and said, I'm going to reveal myself to the whole world through you. The Israelites are out in the wilderness. They're getting ready to take over the promised land. And God comes to them and says, all right, a couple things you need to know. Number one, don't have any other gods before me. You make me the God of your life. And that will safeguard our covenant. That will safeguard our relationship. He says, don't have any foreign idols. Don't carve up any idols out of rock, out of wood, out of stone, or anything like that. I'm the only God. All my life, I've been in church culture, and I've heard hundreds of messages about how uh, we have idols in our lives today called the TV, called racing, called, you know, a bunch of different things. And that has never settled with me because God didn't say, don't have any other priorities in your life that take greater precedent over me. He said, don't worship idols carved out of chunks of tree and out of rock. I'm like, well, the Israelites are so stupid. Why would they do that? I mean, that's a temptation I'll never face. Except I did. (laughs) In November, just this past year, don't bow down to any foreign idol. It was uh, it was September actually, and Carrie Jo uh, Russell here of Racer Productions that puts on this whole GNCC show. Her dad started this series. She comes to me in in September and says, "Hey, how would you like to go to Japan?" I said, "Japan? Well, I'd love to go to Japan. Why would you want to send me to Japan?" She says, "Well, every year we send this we do an exchange program where we send a racer over there for the season finale, and they'll send a racer over here either for Florida or for Snowshoe." So yeah, I know about that. She said, "Well, we always send a racer, a mechanic, and a GNCC liaison. Would you go as the GNCC PR person?" I said, "Well, sure, I'd love to. What What do you want me to do?" She said, "I don't know. Have fun. <laughs> Take a couple pictures, post it on Facebook. We'll call it good." It's like, "Well, sweet." I said, "Well, who's the racer going to be?" And there was some, some mix-up because of ISDE and whatever. And finally, uh, about October, maybe St. Clairsville, she said, it's going to be Jordan Ashburn, which I don't even see Jordan. I see his mom here and his girlfriend. And, his fiance. and, uh, and I said, well, that would be awesome because they're from, you know, Jordan's from uh, Cookville, Tennessee. I'm next door. Been trail riding with Jordan a few times. And we go to summer camp every year where he teaches kids how to ride dirt bikes faster, and I'm the chaplain. We'll, this will be a really cool trip. So sure enough, Jordan, Dave, his dad, and myself, we all go, we fly to Japan. And it's so beautiful. It's perfect time of year. We get there. The leaves are in full color. Uh, we go to the Nagano Prefect, and the mountains are just most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It was so, so cool. But when we landed in Tokyo, we're met at the airport with, by our interpreter, and we couldn't pronounce his whole name, so we could just call him Yoshi. And Yoshi was a cool guy. He spoke enough English to get by, but there were still some communication gaps, and we had to repeat ourselves, and we had to talk slowly, use simple words, and, uh, you know, we, we figured it out. He couldn't quit, quite get past the Tennessee accent sometimes, but we figured it out. We made do. He said, hey, we have to travel to the other side of the country, which Japan's long and narrow, so it didn't take that long, about six, seven-hour drive. And uh, we get going. We're hungry because we've been on this airplane for forever and had airplane food, so we're starving. And so we pull in for dinner someplace. And as the trip went on, we learned that Jordan Ashburn's kind of a picky eater. <laughs> There's no way we were ever going to get him to try sushi. But for our first meal, it was just some like a, a thin steak and some rice, and it was actually it was really good. But before we ate it, I said, Yoshi, would you mind if I prayed? He said, Oh, okay. And so he bowed his head, he closed his eyes. I prayed, thank you, Lord, a lot for this day, for this opportunity. Thanks for friends and fellowship. Thanks for what uh, we're about to eat. And it wasn't just some blanket prayer. We were truly grateful. And we were giving back to God. You know, I was praying a real prayer. Like, we are truly grateful for this awesome opportunity. Said amen. We all ate our meal. The next meal, by by, by our third meal, Yoshi's all all of a sudden, he's on the program, man. He's bowing his head. He's closing his eyes. Uh, One night we had a 
uh, Japanese writer join us for dinner. The writer didn't speak any English at all, but he was going to be there for dinner, and it was pretty cool just to have him and have Yoshi interpreting. But before we ate, Yoshi's talking to him in Japanese. No idea what he's saying. Then he looks at me and says, okay, you pray. Oh, okay. And everybody bows their head, and I'm just off and praying and thanking God, being thankful once again. And uh, we go to the racetrack on Sunday, and it was a, it was a really cool day. Uh, Yamaha Japan provided uh, Jordan with the YZ250FX, this electric start, new, brand new, hadn't even been shipped to the United States at that point in November, and Jordan just put it on him. It was a good day of racing. He, uh, out of a five- or six-mile course, uh, he lapped all the way up to second place. And the, the Japanese engineers were on hand, the guys that developed that bike, and I heard a bunch of chatter going on behind me, and I finally asked, well, what's going on? And one of them that could speak a little bit of English say, we never see bike go so fast. <laughs> it was really cool. Had there been one more lap, I think he would have lapped the whole field, but the bike might not have made it. It was smoking and snapping and crackling. I mean, he, he, he fried that thing. It was cool. The next day is Monday. That's our day to travel back to Tokyo and catch our flight on Tuesday, but it's only a six- or seven-hour drive, so we have time for some sightseeing. And so Yoshi takes us into town. We meet Masami, the guy that's over the whole JNCC series. says, we're going to take you guys to a Buddhist temple. We're like, a Buddhist temple? Well, all right, we're in Japan. I guess we'll go see what a Buddhist temple looks like. I mean, I've seen pictures. I'm sure it's beautiful. But isn't that a little bit like idol worship? Uh, I'm not really sure. Whatever. We'll go. We'll check it out. God, you know our hearts. We're, we're, we're down with this. We're just sightseeing in, in Japan. And uh, I'm thinking... This will surely, this will become a sermon illustration one of these days, little did I know. And uh, we get into this temple, and in the courtyard they have a bunch of souvenir shops, and I bought my son Trevor a, a wooden sword that we barely got out of the country because it wouldn't fit in any luggage, and everybody's like, what's this? It's wood, it's a piece of wood, <laughs> I promise. Um, and, uh, and so we go into the temple, and as we're going into the temple, Yoshi tells us to take out a 10 yen coin. And so I'm figuring, all right, well this is probably the price of admission to get into this temple. And so we get up to the, the entrance of the temple, and he says, now throw it into this fountain kind of thing, I guess. I'm like, all right, well, that's a little weird. So all three of us, we throw our coin in there, and he says, now pray. We're like, oh, no, 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 we're not going to pay to pray, especially if it's not even praying to God. And, and we're like, oh, and, and he didn't quite catch it, and we just go on in, and we all look at each other like, did we just sin? I'm not sure. Uh, but God, you know our hearts. You know that we certainly didn't want to, you know, give money to this thing, but you, you know our hearts, we're, we're good. We get it into the temple, and it, truly it is beautiful, and, uh, and it was very sobering that this is what people believe in, and there's a lot of idols, there's a lot of carvings, there's a lot of, you know, centuries old building that we're in, and it was beautiful, and there was altars in there, and people were in there taking the incense, throwing it all over themselves, and Yoshi goes up to one of the altars, and there's the Buddha right here, and Yoshi takes a knee. He turns around, and he points right at me. He says, you pray. And in my mind, and this is truthfully what was going through my mind, in my mind, I'm like, here is my gracious host. He has been so kind to me. He's been so respectful to me this whole trip. He's prayed with me. All he's doing is he's trying to return the favor to me. I know that that's not really a God. I know it's just a chunk of wood. It wouldn't hurt at all. God knows my heart. It wouldn't hurt at all for me to come alongside my gracious host and just humor him a little bit. And he would feel very honored if I would respect him in that way. And while my stupid head is thinking all these thoughts... My hands and my mouth, for once, were smarter. No, thank you. I found myself just saying, oh, no, thank you, no, thank you. And he got it, 
And it honestly wasn't that big a deal for him. Oh, okay, okay. And he jumps back up, and it was no big deal for him. I was like, man, I can't believe it. I was tempted to bow before an idol, and I didn't. Does that mean that I have great faith? Not really. But there were three guys in the Bible that did exactly the same thing, and for them it was incredible faith. I call it. I think because of that experience, I call it the, the, the coolest story in the whole Bible. Not David and Goliath, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three weird names. These were uh, Hebrew teenagers, basically, young adults. And uh, for years and years and years, this is towards the end of the Israelites being in the promised land. For years and years and years, prophets have been coming to the nation of Israel, going to the king and saying, hey, listen, you guys keep serving all these idols and worshiping these chunks of wood and stone. God is going to take this land away from us. He's going to take us into captivity. Of course, the kings wouldn't listen to him at all. So sure enough, um, King Nebuchadnezzar out of Babylon marches in, surrounds Jerusalem, lays siege to the city for about two years, conquers the city and takes all the, the uh, Daniel chapter 1 says that Nebuchadnezzar, God allowed him to take captive a bunch of people and also vessels out of the temple the uh, the silver and gold vessels out of the temple and carry them back to Babylon it's as if God was saying, you know what guys I am not concerned about the religion that you worship, I'm concerned about you guys worshiping me, you've totally forgotten me so I'm true to my word, you're going into captivity I'll get your attention one way or another so when Nebuchadnezzar takes back all these captives, he takes the he takes the king, he takes the noble family, he takes the best and the brightest young men. He takes them into Babylon, and he sets the brightest and best-looking young men, the smartest young men, and he sits them down. He says, listen, we're going to have a little reality TV contest, if you will. We're going to play The Apprentice. I'm going to feed you guys the best food and the best wine. I'm going to give you the best education. At the end of this, you're either hired or fired. And the guys that I hire... You're going to come and you're going to work for me and you're going to be advisors to me on my court. That means that you're going to have the palace and all of its luxury. You're going to have the finest food, the finest clothing, and you'll get to advise me. Sounds like a pretty good deal for some guys. And I don't know what it means to get fired, but it's probably not good for Nebuchadnezzar and his, uh, his contest here. So the best thing to do if you're one of these young men is to do your best. Go to the gym every morning and pump the weights and, you know, get to looking good. Pay attention. Take notes in school. Eat the best wine, you know, the best meat because that's going to give you your protein. But Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they come to the guy that's in charge of this whole contest and say, you know what, we don't want the king's food. We don't want any king's food. We don't want his wine. Which to you and me, we say, well, why wouldn't you want that? Number one, it's going to give you the protein you need, but also, I mean, what's wrong with it? In the culture of the day, you have to understand that in the culture of that day, all the king's meat and all the king's wine was sacrificed to an idol. And it was part of their religious ceremony to sacrifice that meat to a God other than Yahweh, other than the God of the universe. And God says, have no other gods before me. Don't bow down. Don't worship. But wait a second. I wouldn't really be worshiping that God. I mean, God would know my heart. He knows that I know that that's not real. But Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't make excuses. They said, God, we're going to live into your purpose. Even if we don't know what that is, we don't understand what that is. We don't, we don't even like being in captivity, but we're going to do life your way. We're not going to eat the king's meat. We're going to, not going to drink the king's wine. The guy that's in charge says, that doesn't make any sense, guys. Uh, you're going to, we're not trained in marathon runners here. You know, we don't want you gaunt and hollow. We want you to be strong and fit. And so we'll tell you what, give us a 10-day diet of vegetables and water. And evaluate us at the end of 10 days. All right, we'll do that. At the end of 10 days, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego are better looking, more fit, more smart, if that's right English, than everybody else. 
And so they go on. By the end of it all, Nebuchadnezzar says to them, you're hired. And they are on the king's court all of a sudden. It's interesting that they did it God's way, and God starts moving and using them. You know, the excuse would be, God, I need to eat this meat sacrifice to idols so I can win this contest and advise the king Nebuchadnezzar, right? No, they said, hey, we don't care about that. We just want to do it God's way, whatever you want, God. So they win the contest, and that's not even the cool part of the story. The cool part of the story is Daniel chapter 3. Apparently, Daniel's out of town. He's not mentioned in this passage. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are summoned out to the plain of Dura, along with all the other king's advisors, all the families, all the people that work in the palace, all the important people of the land are called out of the plain of Dura. And when they get to the plain of Dura, they see this huge golden image, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. It's an image of Nebuchadnezzar himself. And Nebuchadnezzar's there, and he says, All right, guys, here's what's going to happen. I am the most important man on the planet. I have conquered the known world, and this image is in honor of myself, the most important man on the planet. When you hear the band strike a chord, everybody's going to bow before the image of me. You're going to acknowledge that I'm the most important guy on this planet. So the band strikes a chord, the music's playing, everybody bows except for three guys in the very back of the crowd. And apparently they were so far back that Nebuchadnezzar didn't even see them. Because the Bible says in Daniel 3 that the Chaldeans, that there were some guys that, on the king's court that come to Nebuchadnezzar and tattle on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they say, hey, king, those Jews that you promoted to a prominent position, don't know if we like that or not, but those Jews, they're not bowing to your idol. And Nebuchadnezzar says, is that so? He says, bring them to me. He says, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, did you not understand my order? When you hear the music play, you bow before the statue. And if you don't bow, there's this burning, raging, fiery furnace over here that will throw you into. Actually, what Nebuchadnezzar says is, if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? I love this part. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We don't have to think about this. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery burning furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. My God is able. My God, that big faith, my God who created the whole world with the spoken word, he is able to answer this prayer request. But even if he doesn't, that little mustard seed of faith. Even if he doesn't, we're still going to do life his way. We're not bowing before your stupid idol. King Nebuchadnezzar, the Bible says he lost his mind. His face turns purple, the veins stick out on his forehead, and he orders the fire to be stoked seven times hotter than normal, and he orders them bound hand and foot and thrown into the fire. The men who are ordered to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire, the fire is so hot that they fall over dead. The king sits down to watch the spectacle, and he says, Wait a second, didn't we throw three men bound hand and foot into the fire? Yes, king, that's exactly what we did. Then why do I see four men loose and walking around and talking as if nothing is happening to them? He says, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out of there. They come out. The Bible says that not a hair is singed. Their clothes aren't burned up. They don't even smell like smoke. And King Nebuchadnezzar, in, in a typical king fashion, he says, The God that these guys worship is the true God. If anybody says anything bad about their God, I'll kill you. <laughs> Even then, Nebuchadnezzar didn't quite get it. 
he had to go through some more trials and tribulations himself before he fully understood that God is God. But at the end of Nebuchadnezzar's life, he acknowledged that God is the creator of everything. And God used Nebuchadnezzar to change the landscape of the world at the time. Nebuchadnezzar went out and he conquered Egypt, and that's the last time that Egypt was ever referred to as a world superpower. Nebuchadnezzar changed the landscape of our modern-day world because three men were willing to live into the purpose that God created them for. They didn't know what God was up to, didn't understand what God was up to, probably didn't even like what God was up to. And yet it was that faith. The disciples had the faith to understand creation, Messiah, but you don't even have the faith of a mustard seed. It's interesting that as you read through the Gospels, the disciples all the time are like, Jesus, are you going to conquer Rome? Are you going to lead us in a revolt against Rome? No, no, that's not why I'm here. Acts chapter 1, Jesus has, has been crucified. He's risen. He's appeared to everybody. He's made himself known that he is the resurrected Savior. And even then, the disciples are still like, so are you going to lead us again in a challenge against Rome now? And Jesus is like, no. <laughs> and Jesus ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit comes down, and all of a sudden, that faith of a mustard seed started to click for the disciples. All of a sudden, they, from that point on, you don't hear them talking about Rome and trying to rise up against Rome. From that point on, they start talking about Jesus, the Messiah, not the one who came to rescue us from Roman oppression, but the one that came to rescue all of humanity from the oppression and the chains of sin, to rescue all of humanity for all of eternity. And they have this, this faith all of a sudden starts to blossom. In, in uh, Acts chapter 3, Hebrew or uh, Peter says that beggar, says, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, arise and walk. And the guy jumps up and walks. By Acts chapter 9, Peter is raising people from the dead. He says to Tabitha, arise, and she's alive once again. The faith of a mustard seed. She said, God, I trust you. Don't know what you're up to. Don't understand what you're up to. Probably don't even like what you're up to, but I trust you. And that's the faith that God grows into the biggest tree in the garden. Lord, thanks a lot for today. Just thanks for the beautiful sunshine that's coming our way. Thanks for the message on faith. I just pray that it will become practical in our lives, that uh, as we face challenges, as we all do, we all face circumstances in life that we don't like, that we don't understand, and we often wonder, where are you? I pray that we'll remember this. We'll say, hey, I don't know where you are. God, you can, but even if you don't, I'm still going to follow you. Lord, be with us this afternoon as we go out there and race. Keep us safe. Bring us back together again in two weeks. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great race.